I'm Dino Busalaki, the Chief Technology Officer and OT Guy at Delta Technology. Hi, I'm Jim, the COO and IT Guy. And I'm Craig Duckworth, President and CEO. You're listening to the Industrial Cybersecurity Insider Show. In each episode, we bring you the inside scoop on the world of industrial cybersecurity. We talk about everything you don't know. That you should know. So plug in and power up. The show's about to get started. Good morning, everyone. I'm Craig Duckworth, the president and CEO of Velta Technology. And today with me, we have Simon Chaster from Clarity. Simon, welcome to the show and give us a little bit of history about yourself. Yeah. Hi, Craig. Thanks. Nice to be here. So I've been formerly the, the CRO of Clarity for the last three years of the market, as well as the governments that are responding to it. Yeah, no, and I appreciate that. Velta has been a partner of Clarity since 2019 when we began the organization. We've had a, a very long relationship with you and the Clarity team. It's been fruitful. We've grown together as we've seen the industry evolve and the technologies improve and more and more are coming on the space. We're seeing more organizations that are beginning to take this, I would say, more seriously, that are really beginning to look at it. I'm sure there are things that in your career in the last you know, four or five years with Clarity specifically, you've seen mature and model and evolve as an industry. Do you think we're getting closer to where the industry needs to be? Or what would you say on a scale of one to 100 about where is the industry getting to versus where we need to be? If I look back and think about what happened over the last decade or slightly more around IT security, you had this sort of proliferation and acceleration of malefactors that were targeting IT. And you had this immediate response in terms of innovation and regulation, which drove further investment and new security controls being innovative and ultimately bad actors or, or mal actors effectively evolving as well as the security controls. What we've seen, I think, over the last three years is it's definitely been a targeted area to focus on as malactors have moved from, let's say, personal information extraction for financial gain or PCI-based data, and they've effectively evolved into business continuity as the real leverage point on industrial environments. Whether they be regulated or non-regulated, I'd say that the regulated industries and the critical national infrastructure, and we could talk about that on one part, but ultimately that's a state sponsored sort of attack, whereas you see the real sort of, I say, financial criminals effectively focused on the non-regulated because it's easy to shut down an operation and create a ransom. And it's it's worth a lot more. Whereas if we look at PII data, I'd say five years ago or four years ago even, it was probably worth about 250 bucks a record. And now it's down to 40 bucks. No, there's no money in it. It's been really commoditized. The real money is in stopping operations of manufacturing facilities, for example, and capturing huge gains through ransom because these environments are super important to the revenue generation. And what we've seen as a knock-on of that is regulation has come out to say, actually, these industries are important to my GDP. For example, in Germany, automotive sector is and this supply chain are hugely important to the GDP of the country. And therefore, how do we start to protect these environments has been pushed by the government, but also been pushed by the organizations themselves to protect their revenue. And therefore, there's been an evolution in the last three years of prioritization, moving from IT security into the OT and IoT, or that sort of extended connected internet of things and or threat landscape. I, I would say that from a maturity point of view, 
there's still a lot of people on different tracks of the journey. And that is that some are still dealing with the complexity of legacy networks and a lot of technical debt, finding what assets they've got. Some are dealing with the problem of remediation of those vulnerabilities in those environments by understanding now where they are to go focus on them. And some are even a little further advanced with actually connecting those threats into their environment and how do they start to then build the skills up to start remediate and recover in those sort of threat circumstances. They're all on different journeys. Definitely, it's moved forward, but I don't think it's moved forward enough, in my opinion, to really protect society. And that's a long ramble, but long answer, but that's basically my opinion. And I think that we are seeing the same thing. You're spot on with different organizations are in different places along the journey, depending on where they are, where they're public, private, large, small. And again, we're seeing it all over the board. I would say that the takeaway from that is you're right. It has come significantly improved from when we began this journey, but it's not where it needs to be to bring the same amount of due diligence that the IT side has had for the last 20 years, just because from a maturity and a time standpoint, this is still fairly new. These cyber physical systems are relatively new. The technologies are six, eight years old. They've not been around a long time. Organizations are still understanding the people aspect of that. It's difficult to get talent, to train talent. So, yeah, it's we still have a bit to go, but we've come great strides in the last five years. Yeah, the interesting thing is that a lot of these environments were built without any security in mind. A lot of these sort of process controllers are operating on voltage variances to create an output, and they operate in a single activity. But the problem is once you start to connect a lot of these devices or these physical systems, they create a collective risk because ultimately there's different processes that control the conveyor belt to the box system to the, the bottling fill-in machine, for example, with actually the liquids, which are different depending on which run cycle you've got on the outputs. And, and there's a lot of different automation vendors that form part of that sort of end-to-end life cycle. And therefore, you can't look at the sort of automation vendors as having a sort of fix or a solution for it because there's just too many people involved and the process is too broad. And then also you can't expect IT to do it because there's been so far removed from that environment for such a long time. It is complex. It definitely is complex. That is a very true statement. I would say if we look back at just the last year, the events that have happened in 2020, over the year. You look at the Clorox event, you look at some of the other large, big events, even on a non-industrial side, you look at MGM, what's happened there. You look at the medical space. I know Clarity's got a huge division that handles up medical as well. And the things that are really shaping the landscape, are there certain things that you guys are seeing that are coming from that, that the focus needs to begin shifting toward in 2024 and going forward that are really key components of this landscape that we need to begin looking at? I'll use the industrial as a sort of capsule for commercial and discrete process, CNI, et cetera. And I'll then talk about the healthcare and life sciences and, and hospitals on, on one side. In essence, you've got a challenge where the criticality of an MRI machine, for example, and or a blood transfusion or an infusion pump, for example, and the air quality control sensor that's within an operating theater and the elevators and the power systems that power a hospital, for example, they are all on a converged environment. They've got to a point where 
actually VLANs were, they thought, were the route to creating that sort of segmentation of the environments. But in essence, they're all interconnected. And that also goes all the way down to PHI data. And ultimately, someone can come in or a phishing attack or some malware can get into the environment and go east to west and create all sorts of havoc, which then moves across different type of job roles and responsibilities from facility managers to cybersecurity to network people, for example, to the clinic clinicians and, and medical um, device management people. And, and that complexity and, and challenge is, is creating actually a real uh, life-threatening issue from the healthcare perspective. And then you look at the industrial and that as there's a march towards Industry 4.0, using more automation, more eco-efficiency drivers into, I suppose, improving their output at a sort of high efficiency but a low cost because of the, uh, I suppose, the inflationary pressures of the Ukraine-Russia war and the cost of energy and everything else. That connectivity is also coming together in some of the discrete manufacturing. And that convergence and connection is also now creating the same issue. But the problem is that traditional security control technologies using signatures as a as an alert format don't pick up some of these concerns or some of these issues because actually what happens is they're using more and more sophisticated techniques which are using tool sets like mouse hole and dusty tunnel, which mimic what is the ICS-based environment or the engineering workstation environment that can't be detected by signature. So you've got to understand what good looks like within these environments. And that's pretty difficult. You've got to learn that, right? And not all of that is captured within just one person. Normally, that's held with each plant manager across multiple plants. And if you pick some of these sort of manufacturing clients, they have in excess of 400 plants all doing different things that are interconnected. And that becomes a people management issue, a technology management issue, as well as a just a legacy and technical debt management issue. In reality, it's so critical, but how do you address it? And ultimately, we've got to accelerate that move from spending the money around IT security. If you think about residual risk or inherent risk and moving it to a residual risk that you're comfortable with, I'd say IT security and the investments that have been spent across all the security control domains has got to that point. I think the residual risk for what you lose and the data that's exposed is minimal. I think now, if you think about the business continuity of industrial control systems, and OT environments, there's not enough money being spent. So boards now need to push that agenda across to create the business continuity, the going concern and deal with that risk and lower that inherent risk that is existing because of the connectivity of these systems or the requirement to push production and revenue and output through the supply chain as much as possible. Yeah, no, you're right. We refer to this as you have to think globally, you have to act locally. Again, back to your point, if I have a manufacturer and I have four 400 facilities, one person, I don't care what your title role is, you do not have that local tribal knowledge at each of those individual plants. They operate on different geographical locations, different environments. They have different people processes. They might have been an acquired facility, a greenfield, brownfield. They're all different. And until you can get that knowledge down and begin looking at those from a local standpoint, even with a global overview of how do we bring all these within the range. It's got to be that way. And the other thing I picked up on that you said that we are starting to see more organizations address is the east-west traffic. Initially, when we're talking with an IT 
organization. They're looking at just the North-South. We only want to see the North-South because they don't understand the control layer space and those networks that are down below those that control layer and how they get that traffic. But when you mention once those organizations or malicious actors or bad actors can go East to West and the disruption they cause, it means a world of difference in helping IT teams understand how important that is and how different it is and that they don't have the visibility and they don't have that tribal knowledge and the understanding that they need to really begin addressing that. We see that as a huge opportunity that organizations need to begin looking at. The interesting thing I come across a lot is we've got firewalls around our manufacturing facility. I was like, that's great. But actually, you don't know what you're blocking. You probably can't block any of the factory production output because you're dealing with health and safety. And you don't know what actually is the communication path and or activities that are going on that you should be blocking. And so the firewall is not going to do any help for you at all. And in essence, what you thought was a definitely an air gap system is not an air gap system. There's so many holes in the back end for all of your automation vendors, in essence, to come in and do real-time maintenance in terms of those automation systems and get access to the engineering work stations and HMIs and so on that are there, the actual fact that you have a real risk issue with one, something coming into your environment that you can't even see coming into your environment and move laterally across into your IT environment, or as most likely happens, and you see some of the big names and brands that have been publicly highlighted in the manufacturing sector, but they talk about it as an IT problem. But in essence, that has moved east-west into the process and control environment because they can't prove that it hasn't. And in most cases, these HMIs and operating and engineering workstations are operating on quite old uh, Windows OS systems. And, and unfortunately, a lot of them have already got vulnerabilities that as soon as anything moves east-west, it's the first thing to go. And if anyone that you said locally, the plant manager for this particular production plant will tell you is restarting a manufacturing facility and all the processes and all of the uh, systems <laughs> is not something you just flick a switch and or it yeah. comes back up online in 90 seconds. It takes a long time. It's very involved. There's lots and lots of processes. We see Windows... 7, XP, Windows 98. The same thing that if you were to ask any CISO in the world, would you allow a Windows XP machine on your IT network? His answer is no way. It's never going to happen. But he doesn't recognize that there are hundreds of them already connected. He just doesn't see them in that environment. First of all, especially when they come to Clarity, is we want to understand what we've got connected to. So from our domain expertise and capability of the tool set is that we do a very good job of showing people what they've got, what are their vulnerabilities, we now have the capability to show them where their exploits are, not just where their the CVSS scores are from those exploited vulnerabilities. And ultimately, we allow them to then go, that's what you've got. Now, how do you start to put down some of that hardening? The next path that they traditionally take is, let me start getting some of that hardening. Let me start pushing some of those alerts. Let me identify some of those unmanaged Windows devices and push that to my EDR. Let me start pushing some of those blocking rules to my firewalls so I can protect myself. And then they move to that final piece, which is, okay, how do I take those alerts and those threats ingest that into my security operations center or provider to start monitoring. The challenge is that an IDS system in an OT plant is very noisy. Lots of things get switched off and switched on every day. Everyone connects it. And ultimately, unless you can filter out those sort of, what I'd say, the normal behavior, 
and looking at the real anomalies and just focus on the anomaly alerts. Yeah, your teams are going to be inundated and having come from NTT and we had thousands of customers on our MSSP platform and the SOC was working all the time, but they don't want any more false positives. They have enough to deal with and log volumes and so on. So you want to give them really directed advice to where to focus and really where to remediate. The next step on from that is that you said there's no skills that are available really that know how to do the remediation. And the only comes down to those that are actually on the plant floor that really know that environment to go, okay, I have to go to this device to deal with that. And as long as you can give them really instructional, detailed information by leveraging all the tools that are out there and all the all the partners that are out there in the ecosystem, you know, they're not going to be able to do it in time because they've got also a production uptime to maintain too. So that's why Velta has been highly successful in providing that hot hands, that managed services capability of understanding the environment and at the same time being able to help them deal with those things that keeps them going and keeps the company and the production output going. It's not as easy on the operational side. You can't just patch something. If, if it's a PLC, for example, there may be remediation plans that are in place from Rockwell, Siemens, whoever the manufacturer, the automation vendor is. But once you get so far, then you're looking at costs to do that, rewrite controls. It's not as simple as just run this patch that comes out from Microsoft every Tuesday and upgrade your stuff. It may break 15 other things to fix the one, and then it becomes cost prohibitive or or not as easily done. And the downtime, you're right. Organizations rely on their manufacturing. They have very strict management policies in place that say uptime needs to be a certain percentage. You need to produce so many widgets in a quarter month, annual year because of what the organization does. And it's hard for them to say, I need you to take the plant down for two weeks or three weeks or a month to do these things. It doesn't happen. We see a typical plant will say, okay, we've got a four day window between Christmas and New Year, and we've got six weeks worth of stuff to do. So what if your things are mission critical that we're going to do and what gets push to next year. That's it, exactly. That's the really interesting thing, which is the problem is it's us as consumers are driving this problem. <laughs> we want everything right now. And that generates a just-in-time supply chain and logistics business model. And production outputs with some of the supply chain shortages that we saw over the last couple of years, you know, everyone's operating at that very high output efficiency level that's potentially possible. Not just one managed cost and profitability, but also what their expectations are for their boards and their outputs. But also in terms of just managing what they can get and what they can build and get out the door for us and what our demand is. Otherwise, the competition will win it. It's just a case of we have no particular loyalty anymore. We need X. And it doesn't matter if X is built for, by A, B, or C. And therefore, whoever's got it and who can get it to you the next day, they're going to get the they order. Would. So those poor plant operators that go, yeah, I can only take the plant down for X days and that's it. I'd say even more difficult on process manufacturing because I was with a concrete manufacturer recently and they're saying the furnaces, if I switch them off, I have to replace all of the pumps and valves because all of the components just basically harden and make them completely useless. So yeah. I've got to figure out a way to throttle down the furnaces without switching them off to then start changing some of the process control. 
it makes it almost impossible to to have any downtime available in the process engineering space. We see the same thing working with glass manufacturers that are making bottles in, in food and beverage. You have a glass furnace that you can't take that down. You got to bulldoze the plant. Really? If you yeah. got a just big solid piece of glass, you can't, it doesn't work. And that's the challenge in this space. And you touched a little bit on it, the resources for the local piece and understanding the remediation portion of it. The process controls engineers, the plant managers, those guys or they're already working 50, 60 hours a week. They're stretched thin as it is. We have this sometimes referred to as the silver tsunami of talent that is leaving manufacturing and getting newer, younger talent into engineering jobs, into those process control pieces because it's not a sexy job. It's not the highest paying job. It's sometimes considered dirty. It's So getting younger people brought in that are willing to do manufacturing and transferring that knowledge over is tough. And it's how do you you get that there is has been a struggle that I think is still going to be a little bit of a struggle until universities, trade schools begin training and helping us build that talent. I'd say one of the things that I focused on when I joined Clarity was the Clarity Academy and, and effectively taking education enablement as a proliferation strategy to everyone, the partner ecosystem, the customers, the market in, in general, because one, it helps propel the knowledge and awareness of Clarity as a technology platform and obviously helps grow the sales, but ultimately it allows us to accelerate the skill and knowledge requirements that we need to deal with the task at hand, which is protecting our society. Whether you're manufacturing X, Y, or Z goods, they're still needed for society to function and or if you're producing electricity, water, or gas, it's critical for society to function. And I think the one thing that I'd say has been interesting is expanding the partner ecosystem, expanding the sort of training and the Clarity Academy, again, that knowledge out there. But until we recognize that effectively cybersecurity as a core skill is really an academic skill and those that operate plants and machinery is a vocational skill and and we've got to figure out how to get more people from the cybersecurity academia world to want to be involved in the vocational grease and spit and sweat and tears that goes on with producing something and take the expert knowledge from cybersecurity and get into the factory floor to apply it and pay them more. We have to figure out how to incentivize that shift. Otherwise, we won't have enough skills to deal with the problem. The, the number of connected devices is increased in every hour. It's gone. It's like a billion an hour or something like that. But there's 6 billion connected physical system devices in the world. There's not enough people that have the capability and the knowledge to deal with protecting that environment unless something radical happens with IT security experts wanting to move into that space. And I think that's the big transformation we've got to figure out the government's going to help us sponsor and support and or enterprise is to pay more. Right now, the skill sets don't own the assets. They don't have that inherent knowledge of the engineering space and how those connected physical systems operate and work and the outcomes to manage them. That's We see that on a continual basis as well, understanding that who owns the asset is responsible traditionally for helping remediate and can put those controls in place to protect those systems. Unless there's some miracle we dig a hop, skip and a jump 
jump to industry 5.0 and we've got cognitively aware PLCs and suddenly they're all in the cloud and, and it becomes more of a PLC than it does an OT. But I don't see that happening anytime soon with some of the things I've come across. There's been wind farm, wind turbines that have been up for 35 years and they're still generating huge megawatts of electricity and nobody is touching them if they're not going anywhere. Why would they? They still work. These machines, we see things, benders, presses, drills that are making things that we use every day that are 60, 80, 100 years old that are still doing the same thing. These machines, there was no even thought of security back when the industrial revolution, these came into manufacturing, especially in the US and abroad. They just work and they just keep on work. It seems to be okay. It's how do you build that appropriate defense in depth and the different micro segmentation and the different visibility and the continuous monitoring and look at all the things that play into a true hygiene of how do you better protect your organization, no matter what it is and where it is from a regional global standpoint to how do you make it better? And we constantly are saying you have to show improvement period over period, whatever that measure stick is at quarter over quarter, year over year, you have to begin showing improvement and transitioning from a pure IT play from a security standpoint to a holistic organization and enterprise about how do you now begin protecting the other half of what you have. I started talking about secure by design in about 2017, mm-hmm. where you know we need to think about building systems, process, tools, technologies, platforms with security in mind rather than security as a bolt-on. I think the more that we start to build new greenfield factories, we've got to build security in the beginning. I think we need to figure out how to digitally transform existing legacy factories into modern technology using cloud and how do we then build the security as part of that transition. What the future holds for the manufacturing and critical national infrastructure space is that we're going to see more and more malactors and malicious players enter this space as tool sets become more commonly shared. More and more geopolitical or techno-nationalism starts Mm -hmm. to ramp up between countries and it will drive a geopolitical driver against the industry which will then force the fact that we have to have greater regulation. We're going to have to force the fact the innovation's got to increase. And then ultimately, we're going to see an increase in boards making this part of the requirement. And you're starting to see that with NIST 2, NIS 2 out of the European Union as a legislation, which is pretty much any organization, 250 employees that is part of their classification that needs to protect OT. You're seeing it through some of the TSA new regulation in the US, also the Biden's 100-day sprint activities and what CISA has been driving, the Patch Act, the Soki Act. They're seeing lots of regulation now trying to drive this. And I think that some of the work, you know, some excellent individuals that I've been lucky to be close to over the last couple of years have been driving with the Securities and Exchange Commission. They're starting to make it part of the requirements of uh, disclosure. And I think that is going to start to get us being serious around protecting our society and the industrial control system environments. I'd say you're right. And I think it's probably the right amount of pressure and guidance from an oversight without going too far. Sometimes we see big government going too far and stepping in and trying to mandate. I think this is the right amount of push, gentle guidance, if you want to call it, that says, hey, we're going to put some oversight into place and we're going to let you dictate how it happens. But here are some things that you need to do 
do. I think it will. I think it'll make a big difference in the coming couple of years. We're looking forward to it. If you yeah. were to look back as we wrap up here, if there's one piece of advice, something that you would give the listeners today that are beginning their journey or wherever they are in their journey, what would you give them that says, here's a good little piece that will help you advance or that they really need to focus on? Is there something specific that would help the listeners today that they may not be thinking about? Yeah, I think it's important that you connect with your peer group if you're a customer and start to learn from others where they are in their journey. What have they done? What have they learned from what they've done? If I put the whole get some technology, find your assets, find your vulnerabilities, put that in place, find a right partner, that's I'm taking that as a given. But I'd say leverage your sort of your peer group. But at the same time, I think you've got to designate and make someone responsible for the industrial control system security systems across the company. Where I see it fail is when CIOs, CISOs you know, try to apportion it within their existing GRC or risk management frameworks and teams and all NetSecOps and so on. I think they've got to really have someone that's dedicated to OT or cyber-physical systems because it needs the focus. It absolutely does. And that is a great, great point. Simon, thank you so much. It's been a great conversation. We appreciate all that you and the Clarity teams have done, the, the advancement in the industry that we're all in. Fantastic conversation. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate it, Craig. Thanks for having me. And best of luck for the 2024. Happy New Year. Yep. Happy New Year to you. Thanks, Simon. Thanks for tuning in to the Industrial Cybersecurity Insider Podcast. To stay up to date with our latest episodes, be sure to click the follow or subscribe button now. And if you found this podcast helpful or have a topic you'd like us to cover, please leave us a review or let us know. If you're interested in learning more about Velta technology and how you can get safer sooner, visit beltatech.com. That's B-E-L-T-A tech.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.